Welcome to the Evolve Your Game podcast. My name is Jose Antonio Fernandez. I'm a high performance coach, author, and tennis philosopher. Our mission is to help people to live fuller lives and to tap deeper into their own potential. All right. We are here with Evan Bino. Hi, Evan. Hi, how are you? To you. Thank you for taking the time uh, to share a little bit of your journey as a tennis player. Um, I would like, please, uh, for you to introduce yourself to the people that are seeing us or listening to us. Okay. Um, I'm Evan Bino. I'm 21 years old, um, and I am a senior. I'm a captain of the Cornell men's tennis team. I'm a senior, and I'm an aspiring tennis professional. So after I graduate, I want to go play on the pro tour. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So what we're going to do uh, now, Evan, is we're going to try to go back at your very beginnings and have like that journey together. I know it's uh, difficult to compress sometimes so much time in a, in a 30 minutes, 45 minutes, but we'll do our best. So uh, please, would you tell me how did you start to play tennis? Honestly, um, it was, it was a bit of a, almost a coincidence in that I started with uh, soccer and my, my sister, my older sister also played soccer. And it was only that um, a, a teammate of my older sister's uh, also played tennis. And there was just one day that her father couldn't take her to practice. And so my mom took that girl instead and had to bring her to the tennis courts. And I guess when my mom saw this girl playing tennis, she's like, oh, actually, um, I, I really like this. I want, my, I want my kids to do this. So then we started playing both soccer and tennis. And then somewhere along the line, um, I chose, both of us chose to drop soccer and then just focus fully on tennis. And how old you were when that happened? Um, I started tennis when I was seven. Well, actually, I, the thing is I started when I was six and then her, uh, I think it's Hurricane Wilma came and kind of destroyed the court. So we took two lessons and wow. then we, yeah, so we dropped it. We started in September of 2005 and then there was a hurricane and then we kind of just forgot about tennis. The courts were destroyed and we, we came back to it in April, 2006. And then that's when we kind of started playing officially where we didn't stop from there. Okay. And when you started playing officially, how was that? Was once a week, twice a week? Yeah, we, uh, I would do like private, you know, we would just do once a week. It started like one hour on Saturdays. And then I, I don't know exactly the timeline, but I know somewhere as we got a little more advanced, we started playing twice a week. I would play on Tuesdays and Thursdays for like an hour and a half. And then uh, when I was probably around nine or 10, I was playing Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I remember I was begging my parents to let me play more, but that was just, you know, they just had me doing three times a week until I went, we went to the advanced group or then we, I joined a group that started playing Monday through Friday. So I was doing five days a week. And where, where was that? Was that here in Florida where you guys? Yeah, it was, it was yeah. in Parkland. Yeah, it was in Parkland, in Florida. Parkland. There was a, there was a place called Terramar Park and there was a, a, a tennis coach there named Kenneth Collins and he had a program there. And, you know, it, it's very, you know, Parkland's a very small town, but actually had a really good group of kids that, we, we actually kind of just lived in the same area. I went to school together and it was a good place to practice there. Oh, nice. Nice. So you, you were among friends playing tennis. Yeah. <clears throat> nice. And uh, one question that I ask everyone, because this is, I think, so relevant for the development. What was your parents' role in all this? Were they active trying to teach or trying to coach or, or they were just the parents that drop you there and um, you do your stuff? 
I would say it was a little bit in between in that um, my parents, they didn't play tennis. So they, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't, they weren't an authority and they weren't able to teach technique. Um, but, you know, my, 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 especially my mom was very involved in that. She wouldn't, she would come to practice, but, you know, she wasn't the type of parent that would go and start lecturing the coach. I know several coaches I've played with, they've always come and said that your parents are angels compared to some of the other people they have to deal with. Um, but at the same time, they were very always trying to kind of push to make us better. So like my mom would do, re, you know, she didn't know enough about tennis, but she would you know, do some research, reading about techniques and then just make little suggestions here or there where she's saying, okay, I'm not the authority. And obviously your coach is you know, the person that's going to help you develop the most. But, you know, she would take us out to hit on the weekends and take us out to, you know, practice our serve, like when we weren't at, you know, at practice. So um, I think she was a little bit, they were both a little bit hands-on, but I think they've also recognized um, that, you know, for their case, the coach was probably, you know, the coach is the one that had the you know, depth of tennis knowledge. So they kind of did take a step back and they, I think they were good at recognizing when they needed to step back. Okay, good, good. And uh, <clears throat> did you like it that way or would you prefer it to be a different way? No, I, I, I really do. I do like it, but um, I liked it because I'm, I'm kind of obsessed with tennis and I, you know, even when I'm off the court, I'm just always talking about it. And so I think it was constructive for, you know, being able to go home and still kind of try to continue the process of learning where, you know, the, you know, it's the weekend, I'm not able to see the coach, but just, I think kind of bouncing off my parents and then pushing us to continue improving. I think that that, um, for, at least for my personality, I think that was positive, but I do recognize, I know sometimes if the, you know, the parents role can, can be overwhelming if they're constantly focusing on tennis. But for me, I, I, I don't think I would change the way my parents were with, uh, in that okay. respect. <clears throat> awesome. Awesome. And when you first started to learn tennis, what, what was more or less the coaching style you received? Was it more like experiential go and hit the ball and play points and figure it out? Or it was very technical or it was a, and, and um, I don't know, a philosophical approach. Let's fight for everything. How, how was your, your um, upbringing in that sense? When I, yeah, when I first started, actually, so I mentioned there was a coach named Kenneth Collins. There was also another coach there named Nick Hall, was an Australian guy. And this Nick guy was very, very technical. Like you would go and do a lesson. He was, he was basically grading you on the, on the beauty of your strokes, the technique, and you know, making sure you get the fundamentals. Um, but I think most, I spent most of my time there with, with Kenneth and his, his was really mostly about mindset. I think he was, you know, he did work with tactics, but a lot of it was, he always said he wanted to, you want to have a blue collar mentality and a white collar sport where it's about, you know, going there and just digging in. And I think, especially when I was younger, I was very, very, I was underweight and very short. And I, so I had no weapons off the ground. And so my success in the juniors up until I was maybe like 16 or 17, when I started growing was really on kind of grinding and trying to find a way to win. Um, even though if I, you know, it wasn't very easy. I wasn't winning quick matches. So I heard here that, uh, so w when did you start to realize you play good tennis before 16 or, or, uh, or when you grew? I, I think, um, it's been a bit of a journey for me, you know, trying to, even now today, still uh, coming to terms with the idea of good tennis or bad tennis. I think I'm trying to realize that I don't think there's really much such thing as good tennis. Um, but I can say when I started, when I was younger, I was, per I'm super competitive, perfectly content to do whatever it took for me to win. 
you know, if it was ugly tennis, but just trying to keep balls in. And then I think when I started developing, oh, sorry, I'll also say is that I was very tactical. I've, you know, I've been, it was a bright kid and I would see what was going on on the court, but I think I, because I didn't have any weapons, I kind of lacked the self-confidence. So everything that I focused on was, okay, how do I beat this guy? What is, what are his weaknesses? And I think that was, you know, useful. But then when I started growing and I started developing weapons, um, even though I could hit the ball bigger, I still think that I had this lack of belief in myself because most of my tennis career was just kind of retrieving and, you know, slicing and, you know, all these different, you know, just different tactics to try to beat people that were bigger than me. So I still didn't fully believe in myself. And then what I, I kind of overcorrected where I spent a couple of years, basically from maybe 15 to probably 21, <laughs> probably until a couple months ago, having the mindset that, well, my weapon, only thing that matters is me. My weapon is going to win or lose me this match and that's it. And then kind of neglecting uh, the aspects of what your opponent's doing and just what's going on on the court. And so I think that it, probably not until maybe honestly a couple months ago when I am starting to learn how to blend the two where I'm not seeking pretty tennis. Obviously, I'm going to go with my strengths and try to be aggressive, but then also on at the end of the day going to a tournament to try to win and then and then going back to the practice court and trying to improve my game whether that looks pretty to someone else or not understand <clears throat> understand that's a, a good blend there uh and um you said you were on your on your parents because you wanted to play more tennis and uh you could only play three times per week at the beginning what motivated you what what was that drive that that said, hey, let's go and hit balls. What was it? Did you have any role models or? Um, well, I think my, I would definitely say my parents, well, obviously first as I just love tennis, like I just, I just get so much enjoyment from playing it. But I think the thing that motivates me to also embrace the less fun parts of tennis is probably my parents. I can say my dad has been a very big role model in terms of having a plan and sticking to it. You know, he's, I, I know he was a, when he was 17, he was like a little overweight. And then he said that he was going to run six miles every day. And now he's 55 and he still goes out and runs every single day. I remember he was even in the paper one time when he went to Brown University because it was four degrees in a snowstorm. He just put on full gear, a ski mask and still went for a six mile run. He made the local paper because of how crazy it, it was. Yeah, no, he still does every day. Every wow. day, like he still goes out for, well, now it's shortened to four miles. He's getting, you know, but still he's running every day. And I think seeing that um, I knew that I really wanted to get better at tennis. And I think that seeing that kind of, it made it clear to me that I had to get repetitions in order to improve. And so, for example, when I was playing two times a week, um, I was playing on Tuesday and Thursday and my older sister, who was a little more advanced than me at the time was playing Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And so I would go to the place. I wasn't allowed to play, but my mom would bring me there because she's there to watch my sister. And I would just hit, I would just, I brought my racket and a ball and would hit against the fence But it wasn't, you know, it's not a wall. The ball could barely bounce back. It's like a, you know, those metal fences you see on the outside of court. So, was, <laughs> but I would play games where I'd have to hit, uh, in order to get one point, I'd have to hit 20 in a row. And I would just try to play a match like that. So it's, if I miss, it's love 15, then I play 20 in a row, it's 15 all. And I would just do stuff like that. because I wanted to just, I just wanted to keep hitting so I can, you know, eventually make it to the Monday, Wednesday, Friday group, and then make it to the five days a week group. Wow. And how old were you then? More or less. Um, I was probably, I was eight, but between the ages of eight, nine, I think I started playing five days a week when I was like 10 or 11. Okay. And uh, um, I'll ask you again, this one, because I want to have a little bit more clarity. 
-hmm. When did you have your first successes that you say, okay, I belong to the better players than, than, than the worst, no? Because uh, I had my insight at some point when I was, I think, uh, 11. I said, well, I play better than most of the other guys. I didn't know that before. I, yeah, okay, yeah, it was when I was 10. I actually can point to a specific tournament. I mean, this is, you know, relative, this is in Florida. Like I was, uh, I think I ended up, I was number two in the boys' tens. I was number two in the state. And um, there was a point where I played at the state closed tournament in June. And I remember I, I was unseated. And then I, I beat, the, beat one of the top seeds in the second round. And after I won, again, I, I think my confidence was still lower where I was trying to convince myself, oh, he must have played badly. I beat this guy 6'4", 6'2". How did I do that? He must have played badly. But then after that tournament, you know, I, got, I moved up in the rankings and I made the finals of the next one, made the finals of the next one, and then finally won. Uh, sorry, the next, I guess, I guess now would be, a, it was called a designated back then, I guess it's a level five. They only had them like four times a year for the boys' tens. Um, but I, you know, finals, finals, then one, one. And I think that I, when I moved up to top five and then number two in the state, I thought, okay, no, I'm, I'm, I guess it's above just recreational play. Like now I'm a competitive tennis player and I, my drive is to go and, you know, be number one next. And, you know, I think that's, so it was, it was when I was around 10 years old. Okay. So there you graduated as as a yeah. uh, recreational went into competitive tennis. Yeah. Do, do you still have uh, some of those boys around you, like still playing tennis? The ones that um, studied with you? Um, the, the person that I beat, I mean, I, I don't know if they, a couple of them, I can say yes. I know actually a couple of the people that I would play against are actually my teammates now at Cornell. Um, yeah. People that, yeah, people that I would play in the boys 12s. Um, but for the most part, uh, I know I, that's the thing that's been kind of weird now, you know, now I'm 21 is, you know, as you keep going through the journey, I see more and more people kind of either dropping off or just, you know, quitting tennis or, or just finishing their, you know, finishing their careers a little earlier than I, I plan on doing it. So, um, but no, I, I can definitely think of a few people that I was playing in the boys tens that are still, you know, active right now, they, they'd be in college. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's fun. When you look at photos and you start to look back, how many people drop along the way, you know? Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I can, uh, now that I'm older, I can see some of those photos as well, Evan. Uh, <clears throat> another uh, question. Have you, have you had in these years playing tennis any moment of insight where you say, wow, I, I understood this, that it was all the time in front of my nose and I couldn't see it. Whatever it be, it could be a technical thing or a mental thing or oh. uh, have you had... Hundred percent. Again, just, honestly, just this year. Um, again, within the past couple of months, um, I I think the biggest lesson that I that I've learned this year is the idea of, of like partial perfectionism, and that like I'm I'm a perfectionist, and I always want to in both school and tennis. Like I'm if I'm doing something, I you know I have to get straight A's. I have to you know, I have to win everything, or or not even just win everything, but my shots have to be perfect. Perfect. And I thought then I would get, I would start getting, I guess, analysis paralysis when I would say, okay, I want to achieve this goal. And then these are the things that I have to do in order to get it. And if I look at all that and I'm like, oh, there's not enough time in the day, I would completely freak out and, you know, and kind of lose my way. And then almost, you know, instead of if let's say on a given day, I could do 90%, um, I do 90% rather than it being a hundred or zero. 
And I can say, for example, I wanted to this year start practicing my serve every day. And then early in the year, I hurt my back. Like I, 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 and I really couldn't serve for a couple of months. And usually before I would, that would be a huge wrench in my plans. I'd get so upset. And then this, but this time I said, okay, at home, I'm just going to go and just practice my ball toss. I'm just going to go and just do, you know, 20 perfect ball tosses in a row. I'm going to, you know, stretch my shoulder, make sure my arm is loose so that when I come back, once my back is healed, I can come back and serve well. Like even just small steps like that have helped me to continue improving. Um, and actually the other thing, actually an arguably bigger lesson that, I, that I've learned uh, this year is trying to stress the importance of improvement over, you know, instead of trying to evaluate my current level, I'm just every day trying to focus on improving. Um, and so, you know, it, I, I, a big advice I would give to anyone that's, I guess, younger than me is um, UTR and tennis recruiting. They might be great tools for like college coaches, but they're absolute poison for players. Um, and I know I've been seeing, I was doing some coaching and, and going around younger players and just hearing them obsessed talking about, oh, I'm an eight. This guy's a seven. I lost to this guy. And just, every, you know, kind of memorizing everyone's ratings. And for myself, I'm someone that memorizes a lot of things. And when I was younger, I was doing the same thing and getting obsessed with it. Um, but then I, I realized that that was me. I'm going to, if my happiness is going to be based on what my current level is or what my, you know, what the algorithm says my level is, um, that's not sustainable. Instead, I should go to bed every day and think, okay, am I better today than I was yesterday? Or am I better tonight than I was this morning before I stepped on the court? I can go to sleep happy and then just keep building on it. So I think that way um, you not only can work towards your goals, but once you even reach the goal you set, you're never done. And I think if you set your goal on a number, there's like an end point. And the thing that's most important for me is that there's, there's no end until I'm physically unable to play or something happens. Um, I'm just there to just keep improving and then see how good I can get rather than thinking, okay, once I get to uh, 14, I can be happy. And I think, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. You, you know, Evan, I, I still remember one thing that uh, made a huge impact on me and it was Jimmy Connors. Jimmy Connors said, uh, well, he's uh, older than me and he was one of the idols when I started to play tennis. And then when I started to compete as a professional, he was still uh, very, very good. And he played very long, like I think until he was 37, 38, or maybe more, I don't know. But one, one day, long before that, somebody asked him, how long are you gonna keep on playing tennis? And he said, as long as I feel I have something to improve. And that gave me so much motivation because I say, wow, what a mentality, no? What a mentality, because what you're saying is instead of measuring yourself like this, no? You measure yourself by, by your uh, feelings and emotions and what you're trying uh, to bring into the day. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very good. I like I mean, it as well. No, I mean, I'm a big math guy and I, I, I understand things a lot of times when I just refer to things that I'm learning. And um, one, one of the ways that I keep telling myself is if I was, uh, you know, in calculus, you learn position by time. And I said, I'm only concerned with the first derivative. It's my velocity, not my position. And then if I really want to go, it can be my acceleration. Like how quickly am I improving? But I, I don't care. I'm trying to just hammer it in my head. I do not care where I am right now. If I go, even when I go to a tournament, I've, you know, going to a tournament, I'm there to win, but I'm not there to evaluate my level. I don't want to go and say, oh, I won this tournament. That means I'm good or I lost. 
that means I must be bad. Or if I lose, I have to, uh, a habit I used to have is you'd look, I play a match, I feel some way about it. And then you rush to UTR to see, okay, what was that guy? And then seeing on what, you know, what our UTRs were, that would determine whether or not I played a good match. And I, that's just, right. you know, now looking back, that's just lunacy. And instead it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's because you never, you know, the person could have played amazingly, could have played poorly. You could have played amazingly, could have played poorly. It doesn't that, it's just about, did I get better? Did I get worse? And you always yeah. just wanted to be the, the It's true. I, I have some experiences like that also that were very uh, strange to me and I'm going to share it here. For example, when I was finishing with tennis, um, my last year I was injured, but right before that I was around 200, 200 and something on the, in the ranking, so, but I couldn't play for, for some time. So when I was preparing to play my club matches in Germany and I went to France to play some money tournaments. And I remember getting there and playing with the students. So college students, so French college students, guys with a level you can't even imagine. And they had zero ATP points, zero. And they had a level. So to measure somebody by the ranking, it's just like, a, you know, an approximation it could be, but I played guys there that had a huge game. And maybe if they would have played ATP, maybe they would have been good. Maybe not. Maybe the pressure would have destroyed them. Who knows? No, but it's it's true. I mean, the 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 level you play is not determined also all the time by your ranking. It's just an orientation there. Yeah. And another can... thing I would even say is that yeah, when I if you base when I based uh, when my assessment of the match was entirely on that, it it kind of ignored. It, it basically stunted my growth because then I couldn't actually look at why I lost. If I played, because I could play someone who's identical level, but maybe their game style is just poison to me. And, you know, let's say people ranked lower than me will beat this guy, but this guy has a game that just makes me uncomfortable. Um, I look, you know, and then I, if I just divorce myself from the, who, what, who says, who says who is supposed to win? If the algorithm says that this guy's better than me or worse than me, instead I'm like, okay, this guy I've been exposed today, whether or not this guy was lower than me, he played a game style that made me uncomfortable. Now I know I can just go back to practice and work on that thing rather than I lose that match. And then it's, Oh my God, this guy was lower than me. And now and that must mean I'm not as good as I thought I was. I'm more, you know, you could, you could play against someone and, and kill them. I have a great day. If you match up well. And I just think that, yeah, if I focus just on improving and then looking for holes in my own game, rather than just trying to, uh, you know, just trying to improve this number. And I think another thing is that, um, when I'm searching and I look at everyone's rankings or, or ratings, I then it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because I go on the court thinking, knowing which matches I should win and which matches I should lose. Um, and some people it's different. Some people play better when they're higher, play worse when they're lower. For me, I think I did better when I was higher than the guy, but when I, if I saw that the guy was higher than me and I put so much weight in that every time I was winning, I'm doubting myself like, Oh, this guy must be playing badly because the algorithm says that this guy should be killing me. Yeah. And then once you're in a tight moment, you're thinking that you throw in a double fault in a big moment. And then, you know, you've, you've made happen what was supposed to happen in your mind. And I think that that's, again, that's just killer yeah. for, for players. I, I think that is when we uh, create our own identity around results. Mm -hmm. So then you say, Oh, this is how it is. This is who I am. If I lose to this guy, or if this guy's better, I, that means I'm, I'm worse. And I, I think that's uh, it's very uh, 
pervasive, no? it, get, it, pervasive. it gets inside of you and it's hard to take it out, but it's very important to work against that. Uh, wh what would you consider is your biggest challenge at this moment? Um, I would say my biggest challenge is on the mental side of still coming to terms, going after my goals. Um, for the like, cause I, I, after college, I want to play professional tennis. And I think um, for the longest time and even still now, I was so afraid to even say that out loud because of how difficult it is and how much of a long shot it, you know, it, it appears to be. And so I think um, every, you know, the same thing, if I lost a match, then, and I would say, oh, you lost at this, at this level. You must be a complete idiot to think that you can even attempt to go after a higher level. And again, so I, and that still comes, it's still back and forth. Like I have a bad result and my confidence will dip. And then I'm questioning why I'm, why I'm playing. But at the end of the day, I have to keep reminding myself that I'm playing because I enjoy it. Um, and I just want to get there and just, you know, it, I think I have to, the thing I'm trying to practice is just acceptance where, I, I'm concerned with things that are in, in my control and I'm not concerned with things that are outside of control. So I'm just going to do my best and do everything that I can. And if it turns out that every, you know, my highest potential is never going to break you know, top hundred or anything. You know, if, it, if it even means I'm never going to get an ATP point in my life, as long as I've done everything that I can to maximize my potential, then I can be proud of what I've done. And I think that for the longest time, it's just been, you're an idiot. You're never going to, you're never going to be top hundred. Why are you doing this? You're wasting your time. And I, you know, that that's been the, the biggest challenge for me. Good, good. Love it. Love it. I think that is called maturity. Evan, mm -hmm. uh, have you uh, learned any life lessons from the game or from important life lessons? Of course, we learn many life lessons on the court, but important life lessons on the court, playing tennis or from, somebody around you that has impacted you um, could be a fitness coach, a tennis coach. I had a, uh, two, two or three people that really made a huge impact on me. My, my tennis coach, one was my, and two were both my fitness coach and my psychologist at some point in my development. You know, they, uh, I still remember today what I learned with them and the way things change after uh, getting this, this new insight. Have you had that? Uh, I can name a couple people like where that really made a big impact in, and I guess in my progress. And so first, I guess I would say um, just the person that I started playing tennis with was, with, was Kenneth Collins. Again, that's the person I, um, when I was eight, basically coached me from when I was seven until I was like 12. And again, I think the idea of, you know, his, his mentality of having, I guess, blue collar mentality in a white collar sport where it's again, I, I love that. Huh? I love that. Yeah. The blue collar, white collar. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a, I thought it was a great lesson to start here. And when you were young, just, um, you know, just, just trying to, you know, even if you can't, again, at the time I really needed it because I couldn't really out hit anyone. <laughs> so even if you can't out hit them, you know, you can just fight your hardest and, and try to, you know, come out and win. And then, when I was 12 or 13, I started playing with, um, at, with a guy named Elias Magajan and he coached me for about five years. And I think where he really helped me was, and it, less than, again, I'm still learning today is to not care what other people think. Um, it, it was, you know, it probably even to a worse degree back then I had the problem of being so self-conscious that I was afraid to speak my goals aloud. Um, or, or, or I was, you know, looking at the people around me 
and seeing, oh, this guy is better than me, or this guy thinks he's better than me. And I played badly when I lost him and getting so caught up in how the people around me were doing, how I'm doing, comparing myself to others. And instead he, you know, I think he was, it's a lesson that I think he was trying to teach me for five years that again, I'm only starting to understand now where it's just, you, you're, you it's, take care it's of yourself. It's amazing, no? but that happens, huh? Yeah. One day you understand what they were trying to, to tell you. Yeah. Wait, let me interrupt you there. Do you still see Kenny Collins or? I have, I mean, I, I, I sometimes keep in contact. I see we're Facebook friends, but he doesn't live in Florida anymore. So he moved ah. out, of, yeah, he moved out of the state uh, like several years ago. So yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. But um, no, it, yeah, it is, it is crazy how, um, how again, it just hits you. Like I'm, I'm just sitting down and then I think, oh, back in 2015, he had this talk with me. And it, at the time I thought I understood it. And I was like, or, or it would just go in one ear and out the other. And I'm like, okay, you know, it's just, you think they're platitudes that they, they're just going to say to everyone. And, you know, it's like, Hey, give a hundred percent. And everyone's like, okay, yeah, we, we all know you're supposed to give a hundred percent, you know, but I think actually that's what, you know, makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the sound is getting then, a little, oh, yeah. a, a little bit. I, I don't know. if oh, okay. uh, Is your connection good? Um, I don't mine know. Look, I mean, looks pretty good. How is it now? Is let's it better? see. No. Yeah, let's let's continue and see what happens. It's not that okay. bad. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Well, what, what I was saying before was yeah that um, I just um, these lessons that were I learned when I was thirteen or fourteen or fifteen, sixteen that I learned them, but I hadn't internalized them yet. I just it's like I memorized a fact like that I was studying for school, but I didn't like, understand it. Um, but yeah, and I, I guess more that this again this actually hit me like a month ago but it was something that was told to me um back in 2019 it was my college coach at cornell uh silvio tennisoyu and i i had just come off a really good tournament i played but i i was using this racket that there was just it was defective i had five of them and i wasn't abusing my racket but they just within i had them for play with them for two weeks. and then in the span of two weeks all five of my rackets just broke like the frame cracked one by one until I had no rackets left. It was also, I had gotten them customized. And so I didn't have a replacement. I just had a good result. I beat this guy who was way higher than me on UTR. And then I went three sets in the final with another guy that was way higher than me. And I had momentum, but then I, uh, I didn't have any rackets left. And then there was going to be, there was a tournament the very next week. And, you know, we had, we had a, a, another racket that was like mine, but again, it wasn't customized to me. And I wanted to pull out of this tournament. And the coach was saying, come on, like, it doesn't matter. You're like, you, why are you, it's like, you're afraid of losing it because you don't want to, you're trying to protect your good results rather than like, you should just go there to grow and learn, not there to evaluate, you know, your level. And I, he convinced me and I played the tournament, but I didn't understand. It. I was just thinking, okay, the coach is telling me to go. Like, I know he's kind of right, but in the back of my head, I was still thinking this is fair. I was playing well. I have the momentum. Every time I'm playing well, something comes along, throws off my momentum. And so I played the tournament and I, I played the rules like a round robin. I won one match and lost two. And like my confidence was just destroyed. And I don't even think I, I started really playing well until that was in November. And I didn't start, I don't think I played like a good solid match until June of 2020. Um, and so it really was. Um, and, and at the time, again, I was just, cause my, the way I measured it, that was the way I thought is I, I play well, my confidence goes up the second I have a bad loss. That means that my level is low and then my confidence goes down. And usually um, one loss will destroy my confidence more than one win would build my confidence up. 
And so then I would go down into a spiral and just start losing matches. And, you know, now I'm thinking, you know, if I, if I broke all my rackets and I had to borrow someone's like, I'm there to prove, to learn more and to grow, not to protect this number <laughs> that I have. And, but again, it, it wasn't until a month ago that I was thinking, oh yeah, I remember when he told me this in November of 2019, that I should have, I wish I had thought about that when I went there. Maybe I could have actually competed rather than spent half of, you know, spent half my mental energy, like being upset about something that I could not control. So, yeah. <laughs> so you spent six months maybe thinking that his advice was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, I mean, not wrong, but something where it was, oh, okay. It's easy to say that when you're, you know, you're not playing, you know, even though he played for many years more than me. So, you know, but again, it just didn't connect. It was something that, you know, I've, I've been told is right. And I trust that he's right, but I don't believe it yet. And I think now I actually believe it. Yeah. We're sending love now to your coach. <laughs> Good yeah. advice. All right. And uh, one more question. Um, if you were going to give an advice <clears throat> to little Evan, when you started to play tennis, what would you tell him? Yeah, I think it's the one that I said before, is I would say steer clear. Uh, well, have this. You should base your, uh, your, you play based on your desire to play, like only play as long as it's something that you enjoy and you play for yourself. Don't play for the expectations of others. Don't play so you can be, you know, so you can compare yourself to your peers. Just play so you can improve. And as long as you're having fun with it. And I would say to, yeah, judge your, judge your, your happiness should come from, I did everything I could. Uh, so I guess it'd be, I would just tell them it's all about the process and not about the results. And you make, try to control at the end of the day, everyone wants the results, but try as you may to control it at the end of the day, you have a lot more success controlling the process and kind of leaving the results up to chance in a sense. And then you'll see, Oh, you know, coincidentally or not, not so coincidentally, your results will improve, but you, it's kind of, you have to kind of divorce yourself from trying to control that, that thing. Yeah. I, I think that's a huge concept and it's so difficult. I see even to put in words, mm -hmm. but to understand it's more difficult that in the moment you let go of the results, you have more chances to achieve in the result mm -hmm. because you focus on what you're doing. So you, once you focus on, doing what you need to do, the results are more probable. Mm -hmm. e even if you divorce from them and you say, okay, it happens in a, I don't know, you're playing a tiebreaker. The moment you start thinking, I have to win this tiebreaker, you might have more chances to lose it. Mm -hmm. Then if you focus on each point, each shot, um, each situation, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's very important to learn. Yeah. Uh, and, and now, now the last one, and this is uh, a, a tough one, maybe, but let's mm -hmm. try to to go through this one. Is there anything you dream about with with tennis or, or with your life in general that you say, okay, I would love to do this, and this would be a great legacy, not mm -hmm. only for me but for generations after me. Um, I guess I mean my my dream would be to be, um, you know, I, I guess at least a, a top, well, not at least, sorry. My goal would be to be a top hundred professional, like, I guess the type of you know, person that you can see on television and all that, but you know, it's, it's, I think that, um, I, while again, that is something that I, that I 
really, really want. I think that it's been important for me to accept any outcome. And again, I'm still even trying to reorient. Like my dream is honestly just is more about, I guess, now the process. Like it's my dream to be a tennis professional. It's my dream to train every day and keep improving. Um, I think that way I don't set a limit because even if I, let's say I go and then, oh, you've cracked the top 100, you've reached your dreams. Now what? Instead, I think if I try to just change my, just my, my dream being about the lifestyle and the process, then, you know, you kind of ensure that you, you actually hit your ceiling rather than arbitrary setting, uh, setting one that may actually be below your true capabilities. So, but I mean, in terms of outside of tennis, um, I, I just, I want to take this mindset that I've learned in tennis and just apply, like I'm a very academic person. So I still want to keep learning. And I, I, and after tennis, I'd probably want to maybe, you know, go back to a master's or, or, uh, do something related to, uh, related to tennis, maybe data science or computer science, like, uh, maybe even video and analysis, but just, um, but first things first is the tennis. I want to, I, it's just my dream to just maximize my, my potential really. Yeah. You know, um, when I was playing, uh, in the years that I was playing, it took me a lot of time to mature, maybe because I was alone. I didn't have a coach until I was 24. Mm -hmm. So it took me a really long time to understand, but I, I still remember to have seen Brad Gilbert taking notes about tennis. And I thought, what a weird guy. But now I understand that he's, he had a bigger picture. He was trying to understand the game. And that's why I think he was an, a, a very good player, an amazing player. Sometimes he says winning ugly, but he was good. Mm -hmm. He was good. He was smart. And I think that was the reason also why he became such a good coach as well. He had such a, a big impact. And you said that the other day that really hit me. And I, I, I want to just point it out. You, you said it uh, because I see you always taking videos. And I say how much video can uh, Evan have and analyze. But now I understand why. Because you have this bigger vision to understand maybe mechanics or technique. And I think that is fantastic, but because in the process of being a tennis player and doing this, you're gonna have such a deep knowledge when you finish walking the process mm -hmm. that is gonna be so useful for other people. Yeah, I think that is fantastic. I mean, that's there you can really leave a legacy. Oh, yeah. like, no, uh, I, I definitely, somewhere along, I also, I do love, I'm even, I, I'm, I'm teaching my girlfriend to play. I remember when I was even younger, I had a stress fracture and my sister, I was like teaching my back. I was 13. My sister was 15. I couldn't play. So I would go at the weekends and kind of coach my sister and improve her backhand. And I, I do love sharing tennis. I, again, I talk about tennis all day long, so I don't know when it would be, but event, like I know at some point I definitely would want to, to coach someone just to, you know, whether it's like, if I have a kid, and if they, you know, if they're interested in tennis, whether it's that or it's, you know, really anything, but I, I definitely don't ever want to be done with the tennis world. I mean, I'd want to be related to it in some way or another. Yeah. Now there we have, we share the same because I mm -hmm. also think that is in these years, especially uh, after coaching and reflecting about my own experiences, 
I write down everything I know and I love to share it with either with mm -hmm. my students or with whoever is interested, sometimes other coaches or my friends. And uh, it's something also I don't want to give up. Mm -hmm. Okay, Evan, it was uh, good talking to you. Uh, you. It was great to hear your insights. And uh, I feel, um, uh, I don't know how long ago I met you, maybe uh, a, a year or yeah, maybe less. It was, uh, I think it was May, of early May of 2020. I think it was when we met. Yeah, and I've seen you maturing in this, in this time, maturing uh maturing as a tennis player but that is deeper than only tennis i think you've mm -hmm. been maturing mentally and it's starting to reflect in your game it has yeah. been a nice nice process to see you make those steps forward thank you so again thank you very much for your time and i'll see you when i see you yeah all right have a good right. night take care bye, bye. Evan. bye thank you for listening to the ideas we shared i hope we were able to serve you well See you in the next one.